It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem dropped the ball! Turn, picks a flow! And touchdown! Hell is frozen over! Of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Week two in the books, Houdat Nation. We are inside black and gold on a sad post game against the <laughs> Tampa Bay Buccaneers in which the black and gold lost 20 to 10. I'm Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak, and we are here to bring you the latest from the game, uh, giving you also reaction post game from players. Uh, you'll hear from Jameis Winston, Mike Evans. Uh, Mike Evans, yeah, we did get some audio from him. Uh, along with Mark Ingram, Michael Thomas, and we'll give you some of our thoughts on some studs and duds from the game, guys who had a decent performance and others who did not live up to expectations. Jeff, how was your go on the sideline? Yes, I got to watch this one on the sideline. Steve made sure to give me the bad game to go to. <laughs> Although, you know, all of the Saints home games, like there was a time, and I remember it, that going to the Superdome was a death sentence for an opposing team, right? True. I remember even when I didn't live here, before I moved here and started covering this team, there was this reputation that going to the Superdome was not going to be a good day for you. You were not going to leave happy. You were going to leave battered and bruised and with a loss. And then that just hasn't been the case the last several years. And, you know, you could say it's because Drew is gone. I don't know. But, you know, it's been brutal to watch these games in the Superdome. Last year you had the, you know, the, like they beat the Bucks last year on Halloween. And that was like one of the top moments. Now it's like you lose to the Giants. You lose to the Dolphins. You lose to the Falcons. You know, it's just you got to find a way to protect your home turf because this is a team that's been so good away from home. That you can be, if you could just hold serve at home, you would be a dominant football team based on the results. But being on the sideline for a game is the first time I've ever watched an NFL game from field level. I know, uh, I know, Murtis. Murtis said she was listening. She had some nice things to say. Let's see. Oh, there it is. Yeah, that was a. I was Joe Money on the spot. That's what I like to hear. Uh, and it was a good time. It took a little while to get used to it. You know, it's really loud down there. Everything's happening really fast. You can't. You know, it took me a while to figure out kind of where I needed to be positioned because, like, I found that, you know, whichever way the play was going, I like to be at kind of that corner cutout so I could get as close to the field as possible, like, at the edge of the players because when I'm behind the players, if I'm not, like, like trying to get a note about a specific player, I can't see anything. Like, I, the only way I can watch the game is on the, is on the screen. So, Did you ever have a moment where you almost became part of the play? No, no, not really. Um, there was a couple in the end zone that got close. A ball almost hit me because because that's what the game was, was a lot of balls missing receivers and bouncing. Ouch. Um, but no, there, there was no plays that kind of finished by me. Although I got a really good look at both the Mark Ingram fumble and the Mike Thomas touchdown because I was in the end, I was at the back of the end zone for both of them. And th those were probably the, the most visually striking things that I can take out of that game because they happened so close to me and they were both, it's like so intense. I was talking to Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com, you know, on the way back up to the press box. And he made a good point, which is like you, when you watch the game up close, 
you come away being like, it's amazing that these guys don't walk away from every play with an injury. Right. <laughs> because the, the speed and the power with which they hit each other is insane. I am not that drunk. I, this is my first drink of bourbon, and I have, I've taken two sips out of it. But, you know, it's been a long day. Like, this day started at 8 a.m., so keep that in mind. <laughs> As you say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm hammered. No, I'm, I am exhausted, but that's fine. We're going to record this podcast, and we're going to get going. And, you know, so, Steve, what was kind of your takeaway? Because I still have to rewatch the game to kind of get an idea, a better idea of how it kind of looked. But what was your kind of takeaways from watching the game at home? Uh, the the definite big concern was with Jameis Winston. You just felt like he was never comfortable after that first drive. Things were going so well to start the game, I thought. And sadly, they only finished with that field goal. But it looked like there was a big day ahead that the Saints were moving the ball down the field. Um, everything seemed to be clicking well, but there were more than one occasion where it looked like he could definitely, Jameis Winston could have ran for a first down and kind of held up or, or threw the ball. And you just have to wonder, was that back injury, his back injury lingering in his head? And I, I totally get it if, if that's the case, because you know, reports are that he's dealing with um, a number of issues in, in the back area. It's not just one one sole um, it, one sole thing that's that's wrong with it. I I don't know um, how much we're going to get from the Saints though on it because Jameis Winston certainly didn't give us any clues. Yeah, it was reported before the game that it was like multiple fractures in his back, um, and even Dennis Allen wouldn't talk about that either. No, he said he had a back issue. That's about all he would say. And it's like, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But if anytime you hear fractures in anything, it's hard to believe that it's not something that um, will affect you in some capacity. How much it's affecting him, I don't know. But it's hard to believe that you can take a shot to the back (laughs) in an NFL game and not get up and be like, oh, crap. My back really hurts right now. And it's like, and it's not like, oh, you have to come out of the game, but does that affect you on the next throw? Right. Are you able to, to release the ball the right way and get it on target? I don't, that's the question I have because he was way more inaccurate than, you know, James is not the most accurate passer in the world. You kind of accept that he has a really good deep ball. He has a cannon for an arm, but he is not always the most accurate quarterback. He was off a lot today, especially down the field. And I, I think that that's where if you if you were having issues, that would be it with kind of that just kinetic motion and getting the ball released where you needed to. But the frustrating thing to me is not that, you know, you have these questions about his back. It's that Jameis was asked three separate times in his press conference, like, okay, how was your back? Was it affecting you? And this is this is basically what he said every time. Yeah, what, what, what's really important is uh, protecting the football. Uh, I have to do I have to do a better job of doing that to give uh, ourselves a chance uh, to win the game. Yeah, you know, uh, everyone in that locker room is playing with some type of uh, banged up or something. But like I said, what's important is offensively, I have to do a better job of, of executing on third downs, and and I can't give him the football. It's almost like he's programmed to say it. 
He's like I, a robot. I mean, like, just say your back hurts. Like, I don't <laughs> – I we know. We agree that you need to do a better job protecting the football. But that's not the question you were asked, Jameis. Answer the question. Um, but, you know, I think he just doesn't want the story to be about his back. But, unfortunately, it's going to be the story, right? You don't lose a game like that. You don't struggle to move the ball the entire game uh, and not have questions about whether – your fractured back. This isn't like a pulled muscle. This is like, yeah. like a serious thing. You know, you don't get to just evade that question, right? And it's going to continue. Hopefully, next week he goes out and shows, you know what? This was a one week thing. I needed to get used to it. It's going to keep getting better. But I mean, it's it's impossible to look past. You threw three interceptions today. And, and you, Anytime you see Jameis have a rough day like this where he throws interceptions, you're going to get, oh, it's Jameis, blah, blah, blah. In this case, I think the biggest issue was that he was being overprotective of the ball and he wasn't pushing the ball where he needed to go. And then later in the game when you didn't have a choice, that's when the interceptions crept in. That's when you tried to force a ball to – I'll rank the interceptions. One, the, the, the second one, which – he tried to force to Jarvis Landry was the worst of the interceptions because it was an interception based on the throw. Like that was that was the pick six, right? Yes. It was a pick six. It was a ball that should not have been thrown. It was not dissimilar from the kind of the sketchy ball he threw against the Falcons that didn't get intercepted but had a chance to be. And that was the worst of the interceptions because it was a bad read. It did not have to happen. The second one was the one to Chris Olave that he threw that he underthrew it. And I, it was only a bad interception. Like, it's not bad to give your guy a chance downfield. It was bad because it was the third attempted deep shot to Chris Olave. And the first two, you overthrew. And you had a chance at. And that, that third one, you underthrew. And Jamel Dean came down with it. And those have to be hits. You can't miss those. Like, these, this guy is open. And <laughs> the fumble by Olave, man. At that point, it's just like... Finally, right. They finally yes. connected, right. And yes. then he puts the ball on the turf. Like, I remember when Eli Manning used to fumble because he fell and didn't know what to do. It's like, you don't expect that out of a wide receiver. But you could almost see it happening in slow motion. It was like he was surprised that he had it. <laughs> Just, oh. Right, I finally got one. And the game wasn't over at that point, right? That was a 51-yard pass. There was a little over two minutes left, right? They go down and score, and they, yeah, they need to get an onside kick. But... You know, that that does happen occasionally. It's not a great odds thing, but you would have given yourself a chance. Um, and that that ended the game effectively. But yeah. And then the other interception, my my memory is yeah, it was the one that was just throwing to throwing to Juwan Johnson. And it was just like you're you're down points, you're trying to make a play, and it, you know, it didn't work. It was similar to the interceptions Drew threw in the playoff matchup. This game went very similarly to the matchup in the playoffs a few years ago, right? The defense is is playing well enough. You are in position to take control of the game. Then all of a sudden, a fumble that takes away points changes everything. And then you're playing from behind, and the quarterback is throwing interceptions because he's trying to make something happen. And all of a sudden, you know, you're losing the turnover battle five to nothing and or five to one, and, and it's not that close. It was also a 10-point loss, <laughs> which I think it was 30 to 20 in the playoffs. This was 20 to 10. Jameis threw three interceptions in this game. Drew threw three interceptions in that game. Mark Ingram fumbled in this one. Jared Cook fumbled in that one. So, yeah, it, very similar. And the way you lost is very similar, where the defense did what it does. It dominated. The defense dominated Tom Brady. It was a 3-3 game going into the fourth quarter. Which I've had is, people come at me on Twitter and say, like, oh, this was a blowout. And I said, that was, how, you, no, 
It was 3-3 going into the fourth quarter. Which is surprising, too, where you mentioned in the defense played so well, but they still they only registered one sack the entire game. And what's crazy is you look at it now, through two games, the Saints defense has one sack. Meanwhile, Jameis Winston has been sacked 10 times. I didn't see this coming from this defense we've been touting so much in the offseason, but there were concerns in the preseason. I was I was worried about the, the amount of pressure that was not coming from the front four um, and wasn't being generated anywhere. I don't know what's going on with the Saints defensive ends, and it was really surprising to see a guy like Peyton Turner being inactive today. Well, I agree with that. Uh, you know, it is disappointing to see your first round pick from last year inactive when he's not because because when I tweeted that this morning, everyone's like, oh, he's hurt already. He's not hurt. No, <laughs> he's not dealing with an injury. He didn't. He wasn't on the injury report at all. He just wasn't active. And last week, that was Tano. Tano Pasnio was inactive. And I think you do have one too many pass rushers. So someone has to be inactive. But you'd hope that wouldn't be your first round pick from last year, who's the odd man out. But he has been or he, he was this week. And it's weird because he did make a play last week, right? He blocked a punt. You'd think like having a role on special teams would keep you on the active roster, but no. But I, I'm not as worked up about the lack of sacks at this point just because it, it's a weird thing where the first week, yes, you weren't able to get to Mariota, but there, there's a reason you weren't able to get to Mariota, which is he's never in the pocket, right? You can only get a sack if the guy's in the pocket. If he's outside the pocket, it's not a sack, right? Um, if he's running, it's not a sack. So it's... You know, because they did tackle him for losses in that game. They just didn't get credited for a sack. In this game, and Cam Jordan brought this up, you know, Tom was getting the ball out so fast that he was essentially torpedoing his own drives. Like, he was getting the ball out so fast that his team did not even have a chance to get to the first down marker. And that's, it's like, sure, you didn't get a sack, but that's why you weren't able to get a lot of pressure because, he knew that he couldn't stand back there. So he was just getting it out hot every time. And that's what Tom Brady does really well. Tom Brady is very good at that. And it's frustrating as a defensive line group. But I don't think, you know, when you look at the defensive effort that was put out by the Saints today, the lack of sacks isn't what lost them this game, right? No, I mean, it wasn't the defense either. No, I mean, so it was three to three going into the fourth quarter. And the defense got Tom Brady off the field. They were set up to punt, and it was special teams that had a 12-man on the field penalty that set up that drive for a touchdown. The only successful drive of the day, which was extended by a bunch of other penalties, and like that was the only drive of the day that the Bucs really got anything done. They had one other drive where they got into the red zone and then uh, fumbled. So I'm not going to say that I'm super concerned about the defense when they dominated the, the Saints defense dominated that game and they lost it because the offense could not sustain a drive and not turn it over throughout that game. It, I think you could have won that game six to three. I think there is a universe where Mark Ingram doesn't fumble. You settle for a field goal and then the Saints just clamp the rest of that game and it's six to three because you went into the fourth quarter tied three to three. Like they're, they're, the defense was that dominant and you did not give them a chance to win the game. It's the exact opposite of how you won games at the end of last season, which is you didn't turn the ball over. You played smart on offense. You made them have to go the long road and beat your defense. And you won games down the stretch. You won nine to nothing, right? You won this exact game in week 15 of last year by not turning it over. And that's what you were unable to do today. 
Yeah, and I, I was thinking too that the fourth quarter this week was the complete opposite also of of week one in Atlanta where obviously, you know, the, the team was able to come together, rally, and, and put things together for a major win. And this one, every everything that offense did in the fourth quarter just went to pieces pretty much, except for that, I guess, uh, one saving grace touchdown to Michael Thomas there at the end of the game. Yeah, it was a it was a nice touchdown. I, I will say that it was a pretty like it was a he was covered. He was double covered, and the ball ended up. You know, there was maybe like a like a foot diameter window that you could have fit that ball into. Like if you're throwing at the at the at the target in practice, and you're just trying to just chuck it into that tiny little window. That's what he had to do on that touchdown. And he did it. It was a terrible decision <laughs> to try to throw the ball there, but. I, you know, when, whenever you're throwing to Mike Thomas, a terrible decision is kind of like a decent decision because he can make you look good. And that's what he did there. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was like the one positive moment. And and to be fair to Jameis, he also did lay a dime out to Chris Olave late in the game for a 51 yard gain that, that Chris fumbled away. So he gets a little credit for that, I suppose. Right. You got to give him credit for that throw but he missed him too many times early in the game for me to feel super excited about that. Right, I was going to say, the the other misses earlier kind of, I don't want to even say even out, there were still more misses than obviously what happened with Olave, but Olave yeah. did cough the ball up, so that's that's a big negative, obviously. There were there were a couple calls in that game that really bugged me. The, I think on both sides. Yeah, so the Marshawn-Mike Evans one, we can get into that more, and that, but that's kind of obvious. Like At a certain point, you just have to throw two people out right? You have to throw the two people out that were, that were involved. involved in the altercation. And that's what they did. It's, it's, it's malarkey because you're not actually penalizing the people who, who committed the infractions. You're penalizing the guy who was targeted, but you understand why you end up there. The, pe- the penalty that I think was awful, the worst call of that game. Oh, I know where you're going. Unnecessary roughness on Bradley Roby as Cameron Braid a tight end is barreling to the edge of the field going to get a first down. And I don't think he even hit him. He just came through with a shoulder. Right. And, and I mean, that's a 15-yard penalty on a play you would have been off the field. Like, that's awful. And uh, here's what Tyron Matthew had to say about that after the game. I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, it's tough to play defense in this league sometimes. Um, but I thought Roby was just being him, you know, trying to make a physical, aggressive play. It's 39. Um, obviously, the tight end caught the ball. As he get closer to the sticks, the harder we run, you know, as, as a defender. And so uh, I just thought Roby was just showing his effort, you know what I mean, just trying to stop him from getting to the chain. It was one of the worst calls I've seen in a long time. Because it's like you're just playing football. It was similar to that call in the Titans game last year where I think it might have been Bond Warner? I don't know. But he got called for unnecessary roughness on Ryan Tannehill for hitting him in the back, like, with hands. And it's like... Guys, it's already impossible to play defense in this league. You can't penalize people for things that are objectively not penalties. Like, hitting is required in the game of football. You have to be able to hit guys, and this guy, it's a tight end. It's, it's not like this is a defensive lineman coming after a quarterback. I, I, I thought that was just egregious. I don't know what it is about coming to the Superdome and why all of a sudden referees, everything turns into amateur hour. It was brutal. It was brutal, and... You know, they, they, I don't think this referee cl- this referee group was that bad in terms of like some of the assessments they made on the field, right? But they were very flag happy, and in a game where the defense is dominating, 
the flags that didn't need to be thrown made way too much of an impact on this game. All that said, that play doesn't happen if you can count to 11, right? (laughs) Because that penalty came on the drive that was extended by the fact that you couldn't get 11 people on the field. Um, so, you know, you, you gotta, it's a give and take, but yeah, that was, that was rough. And it doesn't over, over, overstate the fact that you lost that game because you turned it over five times in a, in a game that went to the fourth quarter, three, three, and the turnover battle was tied one apiece. You turned the ball over four times in the fourth quarter. You don't win a game. I don't think it's possible to win a game like that. I, I will say, I think there were maybe two, three plays that went against the Buccaneers that were questionable too. So I, I, I thought all around that the referees had a, a not so great day and it wasn't just geared towards the Saints kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it, you're you're in a tough spot when there's a brawl that breaks out on the field and that's not the refs. Like let's be clear, the refs on the field are not the ones that threw out Marshawn and Mike Evans. That right, is a no call that York. gets made in New York. So, you know, you can say that that's kind of a bush league way to adjudicate that situation. Mike Evans came off the bench which should be an automatic ejection and went after Marshawn, who was just, I would argue, defending himself. You know, sure, he might have instigated things beforehand, but that's not what he was being penalized for in that moment. He was getting penalized for defending himself against a guy who, as Mark Ingram put it, earholed him. What's and crazy so, too is no, nothing happened to Leonard Fournette. Yeah, right. You would think the guy who instigated a bench clearing brawl would would have some sort of penalty but no he's you know he's a new orleans kid they had to take it easy on him but yeah so there was one other there was one other clip i wanted to play and that is the mike evans post game and i have not heard this this is one that that steve found and loaded into our audio stream so i'm hearing it for the first time with you Tom, you know i just was trying to have my teammates back all i seen them punch, punch somebody in the face like i ain't gonna let that happen you said you never want to hurt your team, right? But these yeah. guys responded to, mm-hmm. to what happened, right? Yeah. We, we got each other's back. You know, we've been together for a while now. We got each other's back. We know when we come to New Orleans, it gets, it gets, uh, it gets spicy. So. It gets spicy. Bullshit. Yeah, who, 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 did, Lattimore, who did Lattimore punch in the face? Nobody. <laughs> I mean, like, Leonard came to him and started pushing him. And he's he's pushing him back. And he was kind of going at it with Brady, but that's not... You know, as far as I know, talking to the opposing quarterback is not is not threatening. Uh, and Mike, I mean, he came off the bench full sprint. Like, and and okay, if this was the first time <laughs> that you had cheap shotted a guy from the sideline, fine. But it's not. You know, this is a this is a pattern here. And I would be very disappointed in the NFL, which, you know, that doesn't mean it's gonna matter. But I would be very disappointed in the NFL if there's not like a serious fine or a suspension for Mike. And it's not because he did anything that's like out of the reasonable air of, okay, there's a fight going on. He sprinted from the bench during a play that he was not involved in to hit somebody. If that's not something that merits a suspension, I don't know what is. Like, it's not a football play. And that's the reason it got out of hand. Like if it was just Marshawn and, and Leonard going at it, that's broken up in like 30 seconds. It became a brawl when Mike Evans sprinted from the sideline. And and to me, that's that rises beyond, you know, oh man, I'm just defending my teammate. No, 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 no. And and also a, a lot of people pointed out too on Twitter, uh, when did Bruce Arians become a, a coach again? 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. It's like, I, I think I think he's like trying to work his way back into Tom's good graces. I don't know. But yeah, that 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 whole situation. And it was weird because on the sideline, you know, the entire Saints bench was like in, in uproar, right? They were like, what the heck is going on? Marshawn was just standing there like sipping his Gatorade. And then they were like, oh, Marshawn Lattimore and Mike Evans are ejected. And he didn't even flinch. He didn't even, like, he didn't blink. He was just, like, everyone on the bench was just like, what? And he was just like, cool. Guess, guess I'm going <laughs> to the locker room. Yeah, this, this seems about right, you know? It, it's so funny because, like, we've spent so many years watching CJ act, actively try to instigate the other team, right? Actively antagonize people and trying to get them to punch him. <laughs> like that's his end goal was to get someone to get themselves thrown out by punching him. And like Marshawn, I don't think he did anything. And I think we talked about this before coming on. It's like, even when it, when it was Odell Beckham and Josh Norman, that's the really big one that I remember where they were just like literally just going at each other and throwing punches throughout the entire game and didn't get ejected, neither of them. And that was the premise for why a, two personal fouls is an ejection now because it wasn't in that game. It was the Giants and the Panthers. And like they both got called for like three different intentions or personal fouls. And like they were just like, this is dangerous, guys. We can't get them out of here. But like in that matchup, Odell Beckham was torching Josh Norman. At that point, you're like, okay, yeah, the cornerback is just trying to get an edge by being antagonistic and and being a little extra aggressive. In this situation, it's Marshawn just putting Mike Evans in jail for an entire game. And the way he's choosing to handle that is by throwing cheap shots. Yeah, I thought it was amusing how Tampa decided to move Mike away from Lattimore's side. They tried, and it worked early on. He the, he kept getting matched up on Justin Evans, and they kept getting pick plays that worked. And you know, I think the Saints reacted to that by saying, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna shadow you with Marshawn because that's been proven to work." And it did. And Mike had no impact in the second half of that game. You know, even before he got ejected, he had a big first quarter. But yeah, I think, you know, the, to claim that you were just going to defend your teammate, get out of here. That's that's nonsense. Because no one would have been ejected from that game if he didn't sprint down to the field and cause a bench clearing brawl. No, and, and like what's crazy is like you pointed out just before is this isn't the first time Evans has done this, not just against the Saints, against Lattimore and... It was so long ago that was when when Jay, Jameis was still the quarterback of the Buccaneers when that incident occurred. Well, Jameis was part of it. Right. Um, so, yeah, he doesn't get a pass on that either. But so here's what here's what Mark Ingram had to say, because he was here for that. He's one of the few players that was actually on the Saints for that situation. And he was here again today. Are you talking about um, Cornette or Evans earlier? Because you were around the last time. This happened, yeah, right? Evans, Evans came off. Evans cheap shot at him last time. And Evans yeah. cheap shot at him this time. Yeah, we were talking about how we were surprised that Fournette. Um, the call came from New York, but we were surprised that New York didn't see Fournette. Um, if anything, there was way more of them being egregious and offensive. Like, and you picked the one guy who was targeted. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that I don't see how that's fair. I don't see how any man could look at that and see somebody just cheap shot blindside you when they're really just talking. You know what I mean? They're talking, gibbering back and forth, and somebody comes and just ear holes you like blatantly. He did it twice. That was the second time he did that to Marshawn. And, uh, you know, nobody respects that, man. But, um, you know, it just sucks. It's unfortunate that we lose one of our guys. And, um, you know, 
I didn't see the whole entire thing, but I definitely saw what he did, Sean. I'm actually seeing a play online, too. I don't know how I missed this, where Carlton Davis basically winds up and throws a punch and nothing, nothing even gets done. Um, looks like he hits Michael Thomas in the end zone. Oh, um, after after the touchdown? Right. That's similar to um, – there's a, there's a clip of Cam Jordan – in a similar situation and the ball out. Yeah. In that situation, you're close enough to the end of the play that he's trying to punch the ball out. Well, this is the play. This is the Carlton Davis play. You're talking about that's, that's the play you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it looks worse than it is. This is the one that I was literally standing right behind. And so Mike is trying to rip the ball away and Carlton's trying to punch it out. And it's like, it even, it even looks worse because it's not, it's not a full windup. He wasn't really doing it, but you know, Mike, Mike is honestly trying to like rip out of that. So, like, he's being the more aggressive person in that moment. Um, but, no, Carlton Davis was being very, very, very handsy. And, you know, I, I think that if you had one major gripe with the officiating, it was that Car- Mike Thomas and Chris Olave did not get nearly as many defensive holding, pass interference flags as they probably earned. Because, you know, you saw defensive holding calls on the Saints. You know, you got, you got, if you're going to call it one way, you have to call it both ways. And Carlton Davis was the most aggressive, physical defensive back on that field. And he did not, I think the only interference call you got was that one late in the game where he literally just tripped Chris Lave. The The play definitely, I guess, the way it's framed and just seeing it over and over, over again, totally looks uh, worse than how you're describing it for sure. No, and there's a and there's a play from a few years back. I think it was against the Panthers and Christian McCaffrey, where Cam looks like he's punching down and trying to hit Christian McCaffrey, but it's like the ball's there. Like that's what he's trying to punch the ball out. And sure, it's after the play, which makes it look worse and out of context. It looks just like he's punching a guy, but you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know slam a guy for doing that when you know you'll defend a guy like Cam for for what a lot of people would see out of context and be like, oh, he's a dirty player. Like, yeah, it's just football. But all right, let's 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 wrap up that segment there. Again, you're listening to Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. And we are going through what I call the recovery podcast. This is for the Saints and Bucks. We've got about 100 people in here on YouTube watching. We've got a lot of questions I want to get to in the second half of this podcast. We're also going to, we're going to start with our studs and our duds. And then we're going to get to a lot of questions. So stick around. I'm going to go to a quick break. And then we're going to get right into that. 